Hi, I'm Niall Quinn, and welcome to Team Tacker. In partnership with Soccer.com, Team Tacker exists to provide meaningful recurring revenues for all US youth soccer clubs while educating, inspiring, and growing each club's community. We achieve all this through Tacker Talks, a new exclusive local podcast with internationally acclaimed content that offers every single club a golden opportunity to seamlessly host their own private podcast. That in turn opens the door to local sponsorship, increased membership subscription, and online shopping rewards. How does it work? Team Tacker will create regular, educative, and inspirational podcasts using some of the game's leading international coaches, medical supervisors, agents, talent scouts, and your favorite players. The show is hosted on each club's Team Tacker platform and can only be accessed by club players and the club's local community. What makes it unique to each club? Well, at the beginning of every podcast, each club gets to record their own weekly communication for their members only. They simply upload an audio recording to the Team Tacket dashboard and our editors look after the rest. The end result is a weekly club podcast containing important local content alongside big locker room insights. And that creates the opportunity for the revenue generation. To give you a flavor of what to expect, here is a pilot episode with a fictitious local club called Central Valley and an enticing interview with a Manchester United legend. So this is the point where Kelly will share local content about Central Valley to her audience. Team Taka will continuously provide her with weekly discussion templates that will help her to curate the right content for her community's enjoyment. For example, Kelly can talk about club news, last week's results, up and coming events, perhaps even interviews with various club officials or introduce player of the week and coach of the week modules. Hi, welcome to episode one of Tacker Talks. I'm Niall Quinn, a former Premier League and World Cup soccer player. And post my playing days, I also acted as chairman for Premier League Club Sunderland for six years. Today, though, I've teamed up with leading US sports apparel provider Soccer.com and your local club to bring you Tacker Talks, the new essential grassroots soccer podcast, a podcast designed exclusively for US soccer players, your families and your clubs. In the process, we will help create important new revenue streams for the club itself. But above all, Tacker Talks will educate players and their families to get the most from their soccer participation. Along the way, we might make you laugh, you might even cry. But together, we're going to explore the ever-evolving player pathway with inputs from the game's leading experts. Tacker Talks aims to facilitate and enlighten the US grassroots soccer community by taking a 360-degree approach to player development. With our unique access to the game's shakers and movers, its top administrators, its most learned coaches, youth development officers, sport medic experts, and even some of your favorite players, we are going to bring big locker room thinking into your home like never before. So let's kick off tonight with a man who has witnessed every part of the game. Our inaugural guest at Taka Talks had an illustrious playing career followed by an extraordinary time as head coach to no fewer 
in 11 English league clubs. As a player, he cocked up an amazing 929 senior appearances at Gillingham, Norwich, Birmingham, Sheffield United. But in the middle of all those, and most famously, his 417 appearances and 52 goals for mighty Manchester United make him a household name. He was actually named in the first English Premier League team of the decade. He won three Premier League titles, three FA Cups, a European Cup Winners' Cup, a European Super Cup, two League Cups. His career was simply magnificent. Switching seamlessly to head coach, promotions to the EPL with Birmingham and Hull City, who he also brought to an FA Cup final, plus spells rejuvenating the likes of big giants Aston Villa, Newcastle and Sunderland, made him the go-to guy who would be trusted to bring any club back. I know, I hired him. My favourite goal has to be Steve Bruce's against Sheffield Wednesday, seven minutes into, into injury time. Then Bruce, he pulled it back to 1-1, one, one, so we thought, well, that's OK, it's not irretrievable. And then when he knocked another one, and then we put us a point clear. Bruce, yes! Unbelievable! There's still a bit to be done for Brian Kidd and Alec Ferguson, almost celebrating the championship. Steve Bruce, uh, on behalf of your US grassroots soccer listeners, welcome to Taka Talks and thank you so much for joining us. Oh, my pleasure, Neil. Good to speak to you. Yeah, and, and that, that, I guess, brings back some great memories. Oh, great memories, Neil. Listen, you know, um, to have the chance uh, before when I started at Gillingham, when you just mentioned one of my clubs there, to think I would be playing after, you know, nearly seven years at the, at the bottom end of the Football League, to then get a big move to, to Manchester United was obviously the highlight. And the two goals you scored then, would you believe now, Niall, is nearly 30 years ago, would you believe? But still, still great memories and um, I'm one when I look back on fondly, of course. Yeah, they're, they're never to be forgotten. They're right up there in the in the annals of uh, of Manchester United's history. But you, you you boast one of the most impressive double careers, if I can call it that. I mean, nine hundred and twenty nine senior games as a player, uh, one thousand and thirty two as a head coach. I mean, that's an incredible longevity. Um, I don't know how you done it. What, what have you got inside you that that made all that happen? What 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 does it take? Do you know, first of all, Niall, how how lucky have I been to have a a living out the game, um, firstly by playing, of course, and the the sheer enjoyment I got from football, even to this day. I've just come on your podcast. I'm watching Brentford versus Liverpool as we speak. Who knows? Maybe maybe it's time to, to call it a day, but... You never know when the phone rings. Oh, I, I, I hope that day hasn't come yet. But um, I want to bring you back to the very early days. Uh, you're growing up in Newcastle, then, of course, a hotbed of uh, footballing talent in the UK. You've got an ability, you believe in yourself, but you kind of found it hard to catch a break at the start, didn't you? Yeah, Niall, I was, I was one of these, and I think it's very, very, especially for all... Uh, the the youngsters listening, you know, it, it, your your development as a as a young boy, and and mine was rather, uh, would you believe I was I was small, very very small. So by the time I got to fifteen, I was still probably a, a twelve year old. Um, so it took me a long time to get to get the chance to to get into the league and um, Gillingham. I ended up at Gillingham, which was you know 
six hours away from Newcastle. And would you believe Peter Beardsley was in the same situation as I was? We both played together. We both had one thing in common, where we were the smallest players, but we were the, the, the last ones to be picked up by anybody. So it was that desire to, to keep going. And eventually, when I did start to grow a little bit, 17, 18, I had the chance at Gillingham where I'm forever grateful because they give me my first opportunity. And of course, and of course, everybody needs that break. So I think the thing is with a lot of young people, a lot of young players, you know, give yourself a chance to physically develop because it always takes time. You know, some people at 15, 16 are men and, uh, and have an advantage, um, but eventually you will catch up. And um, it's then where you need that little bit of break and somebody to believe in you and somebody to give you that chance. But, you know, be patient and keep battling away because um, you never know if the break's around the corner. And luckily for me, I got a break at Gillingham and um, went on to spend, would you believe, nearly seven years there, Niall. So it was a it was a hard slog. But as I said at the top of the interview there, I, I really thoroughly enjoyed playing football every day of your life to get up and, and uh, go and play. And, of course, what you want to do then is try and forge your career, which, um, which I managed to, 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 to get in the end. Yeah, no, it's, it's an incredible story. And I remember you tell me one time after you'd left home and you were in this tough environment, you had a mentor down there. I think it was at the old kit man. Would you believe the old, it was the old uh, youth team manager of Gillingham who served something like Nile 60 years. His name was Bill Collins, an Irishman from Belfast, as tough as you come. Um, and one of them rare breed, what you, you know, was just... It's fantastic with young players. And of course, at Gillingham, we played in the South East Counties League, which against the mighty Arsenals and Chelsea's and, and Tottenham's of this world. So every game was a tough challenge. But his his influence on me was is still there today. I mean, he was a fantastic man. And if it hadn't been for him, Niall, because when you move away at 16, you can you can miss your home. I was away from home, away from the family, away from mum and dad, and all of a sudden you're in a grown up world and you need somebody like him to basically I practically lived at his house and um he was a the the major influence on my career because he always believed in me yeah, I know I know what that means here. Yeah, I I spoke to you before about that. Um I can't let you leave, Gillian, though. You miss somebody else while you were down in Gillingham. And that is the lovely Mrs. Bruce, who 40 years later is still looking after you as brilliantly as she does. Um, I can't let the listeners go without you telling the most fabulous story about how you stayed in touch and how it gave you a criminal record. <laughs> oh, Niall, thanks for that. But I, um, I, I didn't have a lot of money starting. And Jan, who eventually uh, married, was we met at school. And the only way I could keep in touch with her really was by, we didn't have mobile phones in them days, so you have to use a public phone. So what I did was, Niall, I used to transfer the charges to a public phone where Jan used to be waiting for me. Six o'clock, every, every night I'd drop her a call, but reverse the charges until I got caught one day. I ended up, ended up in the nick for 24 hours. And would you believe, would you believe it was Bill Collins who come and got me out and said, "What the hell are you been up to?" <laughs> and I said, "Oh, I've been, I've been fiddling around with phones." And he just started laughing, you know. <laughs> he thought I was 
terrible. But uh, it has given me a criminal record, thankfully. Oh, well, thankfully, well. it might have been raised by then. But yeah, that's how we that's how we contacted each other. Uh, great stuff. And um, you know, I know Jan. She's been a powerful support to you. Incredible story there. Um, you move on to Norwich. You uh, you step up a level. Well, you step up three levels in many ways. You win a League Cup winners' medal. And even then, you know, my debut was against the mighty Liverpool team of the eighties. So here I come from Gillingham in the third division. So I'm making my debut. I'm making my debut in 1984 against the mighty Liverpool team with Rush and Daglish and Souness and all of that great, great team. And would you believe I scored an own goal after a minute? And then I, I scored another one. I scored another one 22 minutes later. So on my home debut in the big league, I've scored two own goals. So even then it was a bit of a struggle, but it gave me the chance, Niall, to play in the big league, which, which of course, is what everybody wants. I mean, you know, to play at the, the top level. Thankfully, we drew the game three each, and but my career was um, taken off a little bit and... Six months later, I scored a winner against Ipswich in the semi-final, and we we win Norwich's only major trophy. What they've won to this day after a hundred years, we we won the we won the League Cup, uh, beating Sunderland one uh, 0 and um, so that was the start. And I thoroughly enjoyed it, and started then getting a little bit of a reputation, I suppose. And then when you get the big call like I did off Sir Alex back in. December, 32 years ago, Niall, it was something like that, you know, it was quite 35 years ago. Um, you know, it was, um, you know, one of them magical moments where um, you had to grasp. I can imagine you. So you're, I think you're coming up 28 years of age and Manchester United come calling up with some phone call to get. Some phone call, Niall, and it took, it took forever for the deal to go through. But um, eventually it went through on something like December the 17th, 1987. So remember making my debut against Portsmouth and we win away from home 2-1, 2-0, something like that and I'm delighted that we've won, you know and that's when I first uh, come across Sir Alex, he wasn't happy with us at all, even though we'd won 2-1 away from home, wasn't happy with the performance we didn't do this, we didn't do that, didn't do the other, so it was a big wake-up call very, very quickly, but a magnificent call, Niles, because um, look, Manchester United is, is still, and now, still a, a great, great fantastic football club yeah absolutely and like 417 games later the glory days have returned to Manchester United you had nine incredible seasons there your life changed what was it like being a Manchester United superstar versus years earlier making your way in phone boxes trying to reverse charges (laughs) (laughs) I think the grounding helped me enormously because I was the first day let me tell you now and I'm sure you've experienced it too you know the first day when I'm walking in alongside, you know, Brian Robson and Paul McGrath and Norman Whiteside and all of these great Frank Staple and all these great players who I'd only just watched from afar to come and then get training with them and playing with them. But I was determined to enjoy it and really um, try and grasp it if I possibly could. It'd been a long slog to get there. So I was determined if I was going to fail, I was going to fail enjoying it. And thankfully, it went well. Um, you know, I, I got a great playing partner who helped me enormously in Gary Pallister, um, who we played together for for five, six, seven years, something like that now. So it was a, it was a really memorable time um, and one that I look back on fondly, as you can imagine. Yeah, absolutely. And of course, Sir Alex, he, he was the best, right? 
Oh, absolutely, Niall. It's, um, I only spoke to him a couple of days ago. Um, a, a, a fantastic uh, man for a start with. Um, and, of course, he, you know, when you leave, you need a break. And, and he gave me that break in my life. What changed my life, as you said, overnight, Niall, you know, from, you know, fiddling phone boxes at Gillingham to going <laughs> Captain Man United with, with two, three years after I'd been there. Um, was 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 something else. Um, I thoroughly enjoyed it and look back at my time. Uh, but Sir Alex, I can't do an interview now without somebody asking me about Sir Alex. But he had that unbelievable desire to win, and that rubbed off on all his players. He wasn't. He he was a hard taskmaster, but a fair one. And um, and I enjoyed playing them. Nine and a half years were were will will stay with me forever. Yeah, no, great times. And um, I was trying to rank the players you played with, and uh, I gave up in the end. I couldn't do it properly. Like, the, the list is fairly breathtaking. Uh, Smichael, Irwin, Pallister, Gary, as you said, Brian Robson, Roy Keane, Mark Hughes, Eric Cantona, David Beckham, Ryan Giggs, Kanchelskis, Skulls. I could go on and on. I mean, to be there for that glorious time with those players, I mean, that must be something special. Yeah, I mean, they were great players in Ireland, you know, and I'm sure you know yourself, you know, they help you too. Huh? Playing in a really good team when you've got great players in front of you. I mean, me and Pally used to play sometimes and, and there was, there'd be Ince and Keane and Robson in front of us. People people never used to get past them three, you know, so that helped enormously, the, the great player. And of course, towards the end of my career, you see the young the young ones, the gigs of this world and the Skulls and the Beckham and people like that just starting in their journey and uh, and what career they all had, you know, playing, all of them played for 10, 12 years. They were, they were magnificent. Yeah, and, and the common denominator there, of course, is Sir Alex Ferguson. Just give us one Alex Ferguson story. Don't want to put you too hard now in into uh, tricky territory, but go on. I think I've told you before many, many times now where we had, we had won the double in 95 and and out all the players you, you you talk about, Cantona was something eccentric, a bit special, a wonderful footballer and we all liked him, but he was a bit different, you know, and it was always going to be how Sir Alex going to handle uh, Eric um, and they both had an unbelievable bond together and a trust in each other. But we were at the town hall after winning uh, the double in 94, I think it was. And um, and we're at this big civic reception, of course, wherein we're blazer, white shirt, red tie, uh, grey trousers, which was, we had to always be like this. And, uh, and Eric walks in with a big beard to start with, <laughs> um, flip-flops, pair of rags, Jeans all torn and a white T-shirt and like a like a hippie coat now I call it back in the sixties <laughs> he would wear them. So the players come up to me, being the captain, and said to him, "Hey, he, he can't be dressed like that, you know. We've got to have a word with the manager, you know." And like an idiot, I went up. I went up to Alex, I went up to Sir Alex and said, uh, "Who was enjoying his moment with a glass of champagne, enjoying the moment, enjoying all the frivolities what were going on?" And uh, I interrupted him to say, "Boss." The lads aren't quite happy, you know. He said, "What's the problem?" I said, uh, "Eric," and uh, he sort of he pretended that he hadn't seen him. So he looked over, <laughs> and he seen Eric dressed the way he was, and took a little glass of his champagne and said, "Tell the rest of them if they can all play like him next year, you can all come dressed as Joseph." <laughs> Brilliant. And what? and I went back and laughed like that, Niall. 
and so did the rest of the team. So we accepted him. Now, a lot of teams wouldn't accept him because he was wanting to be different. But I think that's where he felt free. As Eric would say, he felt free. And, um, and but one of many stories of both. And there's, and there's that many, Niall, I could go on, on and on about. He's, he borders on a G. In 95, I, quite, I, I had the cheek to question him to say, we let Ince go and Hughes go and Konchelskis. Big caller. Big call to let three of really great players go and brought in the Scholes and the Beckhams and the Nicky Butts of this world. Um, and, you know, Alan Hansen famously said, you know, you win nothing with kids and they went on to achieve and we went on again. He built he built another team so, so quickly. Yeah, no, it was incredible times. And I guess, you know, as one chapter ends then, your career uh, moved on after that. I know you played some games with Birmingham. You did quite uh, a number of games there, and then Sheffield United finishing off. But as that chapter ended, another story begins. Um, you became head coach pretty quickly at Sheffield United after your playing days. Um, were you always destined to be a head coach? I had something in my mind, Niall, I have to tell you, where I really enjoyed I was I was going down the route of a I had this thing in my mind where could I take soccer schools into into the deprived areas of England and very very quickly got a sponsor in Honda who went along with the idea so I was I was always planning on maybe going in to take football into the deprived areas of 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 England and um but I got a phone call Niall out the blue would I be interested in taking Sheffield player manager and all of a sudden, I thought, why not? Why not? Why not go in? Why not go in a difficult one, to, to be fair? And Niall, as you know, when I first went into it, the first two, three, four years for me was a struggle. I have to say, I, I couldn't come to terms with it. Um, it's very, very important when you pick, especially nowadays as well, as to make sure you give yourself a chance with owner chairman, CEO, and I found it very, very difficult, but it led me on a path, on a learning path very, very quickly of it's not all what's written on the on the tin in management, you know, and, um, and, and that's why you need that support of a chairman, CEO, owner, whatever you want to call it these days, um, and it's very, very difficult for the young coach of today, it's very difficult because you need instant results today and um you know you, you don't seem to get any longevity these days but sure it was a bit of a struggle um but again i really really enjoyed it and then when you when you grasp it and you start to see a little bit of success and there's nothing quite winning as the head coach i thought winning as a player was the be all and end all but i have to tell you um as for the head coach it, it's really enjoyable that Saturday night when, when you when you when you win. Yeah. Now I think at this point it's only fair that I should inform our listeners that as chairman of Sunderland and after you took us to only our third top ten finish in nearly sixty years, I relieved you of your you duties. You me, didn't you? Now come on, let's throw it right out there. You, you <laughs> again. I did. I did. Um... Do you know, I said uh, to our owner, uh, I bumped into the owner of Sunderland uh, 18 months back. And would you believe he was in a hotel in London, nobody else in the dining room apart from him. And uh, 
and he called me over and bought me a drink and clinked me glass and said, I should have never, I should have never let you go. It's cost me a fortune. In fact, I think he was still paying five or six of them now. So. <laughs> well, two, two things I think I have that, that I have to say about that. Um, well, three, actually. One is sorry. Okay, that's the, that's the first one. Um, secondly, secondly, it says so much about you, I think, that you're here giving us this wonderful uh, insight into your career and into your life. So thanks for, for being the man that you are to, for even talking to, to the chairman at SACU. <laughs> and secondly, I, I, I want to ask a question, actually, rather than point out something. Um, sackings must hurt. And that bounce back that you need after, after a, a sacking, um, that's got to be the toughest place of all to come from. But you were great at bouncing back and proving people like me were wrong. Well, I have to tell you, Niall, I know it's I know people from the outside um, look at it and look at what any job you're in. If you get sacked, it leaves an awful, awful taste in your mouth. Horrible. And I didn't enjoy it at all. When I first got the sack and fo- when I was 40 at Huddersfield, um, I took it really, really badly, Niall. I took I was a bit reclusive, didn't really want to do anything, go anywhere. I really thought I was a failure. And um, and and that's when I really looked at myself to say, well, hang on a minute, are you are you going to just accept this? And everybody says, well, it's part and parcel of fo- being in football, and it really still, even now, still hurts me, disappoints me when you lose your job or you get the sack. And the one thing I did was determined to do was keep proving people wrong, to say, well, I'll show you, I'll show you, I'll show you that I'm not. A failure, if you like, and I think that that has been the story in me in my football life now. The, the the failure side, you know, or you haven't done so well, you have to have the ability to get back on the horse. Brilliant. Um, I guess it's the right time then, really. I, I want three bits of advice from you, if I can. Uh, I want you to give me your best bit of advice for a young child, a young boy or girl in the United States seeking to make his or her way up the ladder. What is the, the, the secret to uh, getting the most out of soccer for a young player? I think the first thing for anybody is I really enjoyed the game. And for what I can see from afar, soccer in the US is now booming with the young people and, and the young children. And it's, it's, it's incredible how far the US national team have come in a, in a few years, um, in the last 20, 25 years or whatever it is. And when you see the numbers of young kids now play in the game my my to all of them would be to enjoy it and of course along the road you're gonna you're gonna come across uh, bumps and bruises but keep enjoying it have that belief in yourself and hopefully you'll find a, a coach who believes in you and because we all need that and that little bit of luck but dealing with rejection is very very difficult when you're young and I believe it, we, we, we reject kids and they, they move away from it very, very quickly. Um, try and accept that if you can, that you're not everybody going to be everybody's cup of tea, but enjoy every challenge that comes with it and, um, and keep enjoying the game because without enjoying it, if you don't enjoy it anymore, then, then perhaps it's not for you. But for all the young ones listening, um, that is my that is my secret to it is to really enjoy what you're doing, enjoy the game, and take that with you and play with a smile on your face 
um, because you never know who's watching. You never always, always we need a break, and you never know. You never know. It could be could be one of them. Yeah, absolutely, and that leads nicely. And, and a coach, a young coach, a young a young coach today, um, a young coach for me today would be when you when you do if you do get head coach and you and you're young, get somebody with grey hair alongside you, who has been there and done it. Um, I come across a guy at Wigan called John Benson, God rest his soul, helped me enormously because when you're a young coach, you're looking at this and that and all the rest of it. And, you know, nothing really matters now unless you win on a Saturday. Um, so trust in the people that you, you bring with you um, and and look for, keep yourself fresh as you possibly can for a Friday and a Saturday when the big games come about because, that's when it really, really matters. That's where you needed at your best, is the Friday preparation, and of course the Saturday for match day. Um, and and again, look for the things that really, really matter. I, how do you win a game of football? Is is my is my especially these days because time now for the young head coach um, is, is 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 few and far between. No, you're right. And finally, a parent who wants to help the journey of their child, um, but isn't quite sure how to go about it. What would you say to a parent? You had Alex who, who went through the, the system. It wasn't always simple for him. You, your shadow was probably your legacy and the shadow of that legacy was cast over him. What advice would you give to a parent uh, to, who, who wants their child to do well, but perhaps needs a little bit of help with understanding that pathway? Well, again, find, find an environment for your son or your daughter find an environment for your son or your daughter where they're comfortable within within that and really don't put really too much pressure on them let them enjoy let them enjoy the game i see i i went to a game at under 14s about three months ago and the enormous pressure that parents were putting on the kids was um was 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 something which I couldn't really understand. Support them as best way you can. Make sure they really enjoy it, um, because ultimately, if they really really enjoy it, they'll 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 come through. And don't put too much pressure on um, on winning, or they didn't play very well that day, because football is a game is loved by millions because. It, it, it is an unbelievable way you can have a great game one day and be the best player on the pitch, and then you you can't you, you can't put your boots on the next week, <laughs> yeah. and and that happens. So encourage them as best you possibly can. Make sure that they're in a really good environment where they enjoy the football, and, um, and encourage them as best you can. Brilliant. Okay, so it's been amazing, Steve. You've been brilliant as always, and I didn't expect anything less. So we're just going to finish. Like we're part of our plan here is we're going to do a quick trivia time with all of the guests. Uh-huh. Uh, for you, for you with the the career you've had, very quickly, best player you ever played with. Oh, that's difficult, Niall, but probably Cantona, <laughs> Hughes, Keane. Uh, I would go. I would go above Robson. Okay, well that's 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 interesting. Uh, best player you ever played against or had to mark. Romario, the great Brazilian, great Brazilian who played for Barcelona, who tore the tore the backside off me one night in the Nuka. <laughs> I'll never forget it. I, he, he was too good for me now. Oh, he was a fab, fabulous footballer. Great player. Um, your favourite women's player of all time, and of course English women's football is really prevalent now. They're they're uh, they're right up there. 
it's incredible how far that's came up. But you have to go with the girl who's just won BBC Personality of the Year. What an achievement for a for a, a female soccer player. Um, and her story is one of she didn't think she was going to be in the team before the European Championships. She went on to be the top goal scorer and and uh, and as I said, just won BBC Sports Personality. So Beth Mead would be would be that would be that that girl. Yeah, I think many people would agree with that bet made from Arsenal. Now, my next question was Robson or Keane, but I think you've just said Robbo. Oh, again, how do I split that, Robson and Keane? It's it's impossible to split, but if I was going to pick one, I, I think uh, uh, I'd have to be me. He's one of my best mates, so I'm going to go Brian, Robson. <laughs> yeah, you'll have, you'll have to go with Robbo. Ronaldo or Messi? Uh, uh, Messi, now that he's won the World Cup. Messi... For his natural ability now, there's somebody. When you look back at Messi's career when he was young, and uh, it didn't always happen for he was in leg braces for for months when he was a kid, and you know, but a wonderful, talented, talented footballer. Pele or Maradona? Oh, gee, has to be Pele. Now we're talking about somebody who's. I've just been watching his funeral today. Now, I, when you look back at what he done, uh, again, Pele. Yeah, no, of course. Uh, Favourite club managed? <laughs> oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Favourite club? Well, listen, I've, 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 I've managed the two big clubs in the northeast, um, and they were really enjoyable. But my favourite one, um, I'm going to have to say Birmingham, because that was that six, seven years that, that, got, me, that got me up and running. Very good. I didn't expect that. Worst chairman, and you can call it any way you like. <laughs> <laughs> no, no. Uh, I had a belt. I had a belter at, uh, at Huddersfield, a lad called Barry Rubri, um, who thought was centre forward. Who thought was centre forward when um, uh, when we were top of the league. So he has to be the he has to be the villain. Well, I, I only did it to you, I think, when we were about fifth in the league. I sold Darren Bent on you, so. Uh, I could have easily I could have easily been called your worst chairman. Um, Premier League or Champions League? Premier League. Premier League. Interesting. Yeah. And uh, finally, are Arsenal going to hold on and win the Premier League? Well, Niall, they've given themselves a hell of an opportunity. Um, can they can they handle now the run in? Sir Alex used to call it the tickly bit. Can they handle that now? That would be some achievement and how good it is to see this time last year Mikel Arteta was up against them and the chairman have stuck with them and seen the vision they've got and three years down the line he's assembled a really good team so hey for Mikel and Steve Brown who I work with I hope Arsenal can hang on very good well look Steve Bruce as I knew it would be it's been a, an incredible pleasure speaking to you uh, going back through old times getting your thoughts um, you're, you're more than uh, a football manager or a great football player. You're a wonderful human being. And I thank you as our first inaugural guest on Taka Talks. Our listeners, I'm sure, are absolutely thrilled by what you've had to offer. And we hope too, as well as you thinking Arsenal might win the league, we hope that you'll be back challenging and be managing a club very, very soon. Steve Bruce, thank you for your time. Thanks ever so much, Niall. It's been a pleasure speaking to you as always. So there you have it. We're Taka Talks, the local club podcast delivering education, inspiration and meaningful revenues for U.S. youth soccer clubs. Be sure to come to see us at the United Soccer Coaches Convention in Philadelphia 
where we're exhibiting alongside our partners, Soccer.com. Alternatively, you can find us on www.teamtacker.com.